We can't stabilize the link. Of course not. The equations are only the first step. We will be going beyond mathematics. Just tell me what I have to do. Begin by letting go of your guilt, Wesley. It's my fault. I shouldn't have tried. Focus on the present. You will have to be here completely to help her back. You must open yourself to time and space and the intricate threads that bind them. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge... This is Tyler Orton getting pinched out of existence. Sorry, I, Tyler, I don't think I could quite hear you. I think you were phasing in and out of, uh, you know, existence. Cam, you know, uh, we used to have a co-host. I swear I'm not making this up, but do you remember there, there's a, a co-host for the show, uh, one Ben Yong, or is that just, you know, my, my faulty memory? I don't know what you're talking about at all. Uh, Benjamin Yong, he loves chocolate. Mm. Nope, nope. Oh, We had oh a dear. third host, but it was, I think his name was something else. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going crazy, I swear. <laughs> But speaking of going crazy, this week we're going to talk about the Traveler trilogy. Perhaps the craziest trilogy in Star Trek storytelling, maybe? <laughs> okay, so Cam, I originally pitched this as more of a joke, and I think you kind of mm. liked it more than I originally did as a joke, and I, I got to watching these episodes, and I, I had an epiphany there. You know you know me, like I always like to have some sort of thesis as we go into our, all of our episodes that we're making here, you know, like... What is the question we're trying to answer? You know, and, and I realized, like, soon into the, this very odd trilogy, it's in a very important tri- trilogy because mm-hmm. the trilogy of the Traveler is essentially Wesley Crusher's story arc in a nutshell, from beginning, middle to end. When we're talking about where no one has gone before in season one, to Remember Me in season four and Journey's End in Season 7. And it's just, it was quite the revelation that I'd never watched all three of these episodes in a row. <laughs> and so I was very impressed by that. And we got a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, addendum there with, with uh, you know, another Star Trek series. I don't want to spoil anything, but we will have some spoilers uh, towards the end uh, for one of the new Star Trek shows, uh, just an FYI in case. But Kim, I actually quite appreciated doing this Traveler trilogy, which I originally just pitched you as a joke. To be honest, after doing the research for this one and watching these three episodes, I started like thinking, what else can we do of crazy trilogies in Star Trek? Because I had a ton of fun rewatching these episodes. And um, I know we touched on them in the past. I think we did an episode. I know we did an episode. I think it was called For the Love of Wesley, where we talked about the journey of Wesley Crusher. And I think we may have done that episode with a co-host that you seem to know the name of that I don't. But um, yeah, like there's, it is an interesting arc. And Usually when we are tackling these kind of character-centric um, approaches, whether we did it with, you know, Odo, the Wesley episode I just mentioned, it's so much about the character at the heart of what we are tackling on the show. With The Traveler, it's interesting in that this, you know, 
presence shows up three times on TNG. But we really know nothing about him other than he is the ultimate deus ex machina, and he's more about making other people's arcs happen. Well, and I, from what I understand, the reason he kept coming back is Eric Minyak, who who is uh, the actor who played the Traveler, he was a big hit at the conventions. And so I think, you know, the, the producers just heard all this Traveler chatter, and that's kind of what pushed <laughs> them to bring him back at least for remember me you know i i'm it, well, remember you and i were at the san francisco convention a couple years back where uh, eric meniak and robin curtis were paired up on stage they were a mm-hmm. hoot and what was it they were playing a game rather than just taking questions which how many questions have they faced over the last 30 40 years that, that you know that they could really feel as if you know we have something interesting to say now so they're doing some sort of game do you remember what that game was cam I can't for the life of me. As soon as you mentioned it, I'm like, oh, I'm racking my brain trying to remember what it was, and I can't. It was something like, I don't know, uh, which of us has never um, kissed a frog? I, I don't know, but it's... <laughs> this was is, it like, never have I ever? Something like that. You know, I, I'm, But it wasn't never have I ever. But anyways, it was a, it was a hoot, and I, I can understand if that kind of being like the impetus to bring him back for... Uh, remember me? Although, from my understanding, though, they kind of rewrote that script because it's supposed to be more like Beverly Crusher's having a bad dream, and that was the conclusion. And the writers didn't really like it, and so they, you know, ended up using the Traveler uh, in, in the last couple acts. You know, which is, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think that actually served the episode much better. Yes, it does feel like it comes a little bit out of nowhere, but um, the character, he's. So much of just like a problem solver character. It feels like not so much the first episode, which feels like it's written around the character. The other two feel it like it's almost like we need to get to a conclusion. How do we get there? We have this character with like vaguely defined, one could say almost magical powers who can make things happen. So if you're going to go that route... um, it would get lazy to just use Q for that sort of thing all the time. And I think it's interesting they use the Traveler. Yeah. And just a little bit of background information before you and I start diving in, you know, episode by episode throughout this trilogy, though, is Eric Meniak was, uh, you know, the, the next pick after Brent Spiner to play Data. I mm-hmm. think it would have been a very different take on Data than what we got from Spiner. And I think ultimately the uh, writers made the right choice here. I, I don't know if uh, many fans would dispute me. What would you think of uh, Brent Spiner as the Traveler, though? I'm trying to flip the two. Like, I think if Menyuk is Data, there's like a little bit more warmth that comes through. Mm-hmm. Um, like more of a gentle spirit that I think he really has the Traveler. And now I'm flipping it to, like, Spiner is such a chameleon because we've seen him play so many different types of characters. I think, though, as the Traveler, what I'm envisioning is something more akin to Noonien Sung, where there's, like, that wisdom that really comes through. And I don't know if they would have gone maybe the same makeup or if the makeup would have been different. But that's what I'm kind of picturing, that kind of kind of wisdom and more of, like, almost, almost like a Yoda-type figure. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think uh, Brent Spiner would have chosen to play the Traveler as less of a, a weirdo? You know, I, I, I don't know. Like, he, <laughs> gives, he gives such weird vibes. Let, let's just be honest. Yeah. It, just, it, it feels like... I, I, I am not saying Eric Menyuk is pervy. I, I, I'm just saying that his acting choice gives, like, perv vibes. You know, if that makes sense. 
there's a reason there's such a uh, kind of running joke about the traveler. It is strange and it's a lot of deep staring and the fact that the show was shot in 4-3 aspect ratio, it meant it meant those two actors had to be very close together for the framing, so that makes it even more uncomfortable. Like if it was widescreen, you could at least have some distance, but it's a lot of standing really close together and staring at each other that makes it kind of weird. Well, why don't we jump right into where no one has gone before, his first appearance. It was uh, early on in uh, TNG's run. I think it was episode four or five. But like one of the interesting things, though, is uh, that that magical tingly music that would play whenever the Traveler was around. <laughs> it, it, that episode, I think, was the only one composed by one of the original composers from the original series era. So it does have more of an OG sort of vibe to it. I just don't think that music works uh, for TNG, especially for this episode, if but they're trying to you know like telegraph to you that the magic behind the traveler, it's something you should behold. Like it is something exquisite, and um, yeah, it, it is a little uh, <laughs> off-putting. Like, did you? It just has a, these kind of tingly little twinkling vibes to it. Like, did you pick up on the music musical cues? Well, it's like they want that sort of whimsical quality. And, like, this is, what, five years after E.T.? So, like, that's kind of in the zeitgeist. Like, the idea of kind of these extraterrestrials that are kind of magical and wondrous. I think also of close encounters. And so I can kind of understand what they're going for. But there's a difference between that kind of twinkling music and then a smash cut to the Traveler. It's like these two things don't really go hand in hand. Maybe if they'd gone more alien, that might have worked. But no, it doesn't It doesn't really connect for me. And the music feels like they don't know what TNG is yet. There's a lot of almost like fisheye angle lenses in this episode. It's very strange in terms of direction. It doesn't feel like the TNG we know. So like early experiments like this, um, I find them more interesting than effective. But I'm kind of glad they're there to go back to. Okay. And, and one of the interesting threads uh, that begins in this episode with regards to the Traveler is the ability that some possess to bend reality in, or at least how we perceive reality uh, in our own minds. And we see this here where, you know, we've got ensigns doing ballet dancing in the cargo bay, um, <laughs> Picard having tea with his deceased mother, who's elderly rather than uh -huh. uh, Mamon from, uh, as we know her in uh, the uh, Star Trek Picard season two era. Uh, we have uh, a person very afraid of fire here. And um, we also <laughs> yeah. have a very weird delivery from one uh, Denise Crosby about being chased by rape gangs on her home planet. And I, I don't think the director quite gave gave the best direction in how to uh, uh, overcome such clunky, uh, unsympathetic sort of dialogue there. You, oh boy, it's really tough, I think, to just drop the term rape gangs in an episode and not have the whole audience go like, like, what? Like, yeah. that sounds horrific. And they treat it so flippantly in early TNG. Like, she references rape gangs, like, a few times. This isn't the only time. And it's always done in this weird kind of, like, offhanded way where it's not at all acknowledging the gravity of what the actress is saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, we also have the Traveler paired up with Kaczynski for mm -hmm. um, whatever reason. I understand why... 
you know, the traveler would just use Kaczynski as kind of his free meal ticket there. Um, I, I found the character of Kaczynski fascinating in a train wreck kind of way because Kaczynski knew he was a fraud, but yep, he seemed determined to convince everyone that uh, he wasn't as almost as if he believed he wasn't just by commanding people this kaczynski character is like it's early tng but this i i, I would not want to watch the uh, prequel series in which we had to sit there with kaczynski and the traveler hopping from uh you know ship to ship uh, across the federation this is a deeply intense performance coming from the actor playing kaczynski it's bizarre like he seems crazed and uh, you know the 80s was like in terms of like filmmaking they always refer to it as like the cocaine decade because like film and tv got really crazy in the 80s and then got a little more clamped down in the 90s but like and this is not to say anything about the actor playing Kaczynski but like the performance feeds right into that like cocaine 80s spirit where it's like I am practically watching Ellis from Die Hard you know the white knight um basically on screen and it's crazy a as a performance and i mean it's interesting in that it's very big you know it's wide-eyed he's sweaty throughout the entire um episode and i think part of the reason it's played so big and overwhelming and you know characters are constantly commenting on his performance and his or his behavior i should say is because they're trying to cast your attention away from the Traveler. Like, they want you to focus completely on Kaczynski so you feel some sort of surprise when the reveal comes. I don't know that it really works, um, but you can't say that they didn't try because Kaczynski is big all in caps. Yeah. Uh, well, at least props to Wesley for trying to let people know that there is a space alien phasing in and out of existence. And uh, I don't know, I, I give Riker a downvote for how dismissive he was uh, after letting this kid hang out in main engineering the whole time. Well, the other day I was talking to you about just doing the research for this episode. And I said, pay attention to where no one has gone before and take note of how surly and annoyed everyone see, uh, seems. Did you notice that on the watch? I, yeah, and it, had you not mentioned it, I probably would have not been attuned to that. But I wonder how much of it, 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 it helps kind of stand in contrast to the disposition of the uh, uh, calm operator, the cool operator that is the Traveler. I think it's that, and I think it's also trying to... There, I wonder if E.T. was an influence on this, because I wonder if part of it is we're supposed to be entirely sympathetic to Wesley throughout this episode. And one of the like staples of stories about children in this era is that adults won't listen to children even though children know what's going on and so you have wesley who has this connection with the traveler sees the traveler like pulsating over panels and is the only one that can give information but no one will listen to him and i do think it is kind of falling into those tropes it's just weird to see it in star trek because you don't automatically connect um that type of storytelling with that more common you know kids movie type of uh storytelling well Talking about uh, kids' movie storytelling, uh, a lot of uh, tell-don't-show problems with this, in which Wesley is suddenly announcing that he and the Traveler are friends. Cam, mm. what happened in the, uh, I don't know, six minutes of screen time that those two shared before Wesley started declaring that he and the Traveler are friends? It's essentially, Wesley hovering over the Traveler's console, watching him phase in and out, and now the sudden they're best buds. Yeah, it's like the Traveler shares a little bit of like of a back and forth about what he's doing on the panels. You know, Wesley seems interested, but 
it is kind of the equivalent of when you watch an old movie from like the 1940s or something or 50s and like uh, a couple meet and they exchange like two lines of dialogue and then the next thing you know they're engaged that's what this feels like in terms of friendship it's like two characters spoke to each other at a console for all of 30 seconds boom they are best friends and inseparable okay and uh well it looks as if the traveler wants to make picard a little bit more inseparable from wesley as well he uh sits him down says look your duty and oh you can't tell him this you can't tell him this but all <laughs> you need to know is that he is one of the most important people in the world he's like mozart he'll be combining time energy propulsion don't ever tell him this don't ever tell him this your job is to encourage him um was Picard super, super encouraging for Wesley. Like he was there to support him in very many uh, number of important episodes. Is Picard an encouraging figure to Wesley? No. I think what Picard does is establish um, a very strong role model in terms of guiding him towards Starfleet and ingraining in him sort of the expedite, uh, the expectations of being a cadet and the you know a future there. But like. What the Traveler's talking about isn't like Wesley's going to be a really great officer on a ship one day. He's talking about essentially magic. Wesley's going to be like combining, you know, time and space and all that sort of thing and propulsion. If I'm Picard, I'm like, like, how do I encourage this? Like, what journey is he like on? Is this something outside of my realm of expertise? Like, what can I really offer? Because what he's describing is not teach him to be a starship captain he's teaching he's saying like guide him into something that's completely unknown well that's why ultimately the writers they, they wanted to find something more meaningful for wesley's ultimate journey and we'll, we'll get into that uh in mm -hmm. a little bit though but it, it's like okay so we're told that this is a special boy and for the better part of you know four seasons we sit here pushing buttons on consoles saying i captain you know it's like that's not it necessarily what a, a a special person would be destined for you know and so like but then it, it, there's always kind of this kind of uh, conflict with the character because he always felt his destiny was to be in starfleet and, and this is what this episode is ultimately meant to do you, you got the first couple episodes you got like uh the naked now for example and it, it's like wesley's there to save the day you know doing things like that He's just a boy on the ship. He He's a civilian there. And so by the end of this episode, Picard's way of, quote, unquote, encouraging him is making him acting ensign on the advice. Well, not the advice, but, you know, the, the, the traveler's insisting he needs to find a way to encourage him. So that's what Car Picard's response is. I can't imagine what that conversation was like with Starfleet Command. Like, hey, got I've, I've got a young teen. Got to make him acting ensign. But don't worry. <laughs> An alien told me to encourage him. An alien who I can't pronounce the name of, and according to Troy, is an empty space. <laughs> yes. yes. Like, who? Like, can you tell us anything about this alien, Picard? Mm, no. No, I really can't. Other than he's merging propulsion and time and space. Okay. Like, this feels like a setup for something that the show would have no willingness to commit to in that period. Like serialized television wasn't really going to happen on TNG in the 1980s, much less, you know, it, it would take quite a while before DS9 would roll around. 
So, like, I I kind of don't know why they set this up when they weren't interested in acknowledging that within Wesley until, like, what, three seasons later or something like that? Like, it's not even in future Wesley episodes because he does play a very active role in seasons one and two. It's like no one comments on this. No one's talking about Wesley having like the abilities that are outside of the norm of like a human being. What they're describing in this episode, when I listen to the traveler speak about Wesley, I'm picturing in my head like, you know, Decker going on the human adventure with Ilya Probe. Like that's the sort of thing I'm thinking about, mm-hmm. not like someone, you know, going through Starfleet ranks. Well, I think this episode was more of kind of a utilitarian effort to make Wesley's presence aboard the Enterprise kind of more justifiable. Like, why is he in the thick of action episode to episode and instead of making it a little bit more, I don't know, awkwardly wedged in, which we had been seeing the uh, couple episodes prior. That's actually an excellent point because there was a lot of um, Wesley hate in that era and it's almost like they could see that coming and so they felt compelled to establish why he was important. It's just that they never quite followed up explaining to the audience anything more it was kind of like this vague reference and i think maybe if they'd explored that because like star trek has a long history of characters who are kind of transcending space and time and becoming something more than what humans you know you would think could be it's it's happened on tos it's happened in the films i think they could have tried that with wesley but it doesn't seem like they were willing to commit to that either. It's an interesting tact to try to establish this character as important so people don't dismiss this kid on the show saving the day, but at the same time, they don't want to show him doing anything extraordinary. Okay, well, Cam, before we jump over to the next one, I, I, I want to just bring up this last point here. Uh, recall, it, you know, there's 700 years away at maximum warp. Um, Picard sends a captain's log. Uh, he's like, I don't even know if you're going to get this. I think it would be the best shout out in the world if we're watching like season five of Discovery and that's when that uh, captain's log uh, suddenly arrives uh, in uh, the Alpha Quadrant via a subspace transmission. I am entirely for payoffs to forgotten episodes of early TNG. <laughs> like nothing would delight me more, honestly. Like when we got Bruce Maddox showing up in Picard season one, that was pretty amusing. Uh, I can't say I loved what they did with the, did with them, but like when they announced the name, I'm like, oh wow, that's fun. So if they want to like throw traveler stuff or throw random references to this episode, I am 100% in for it. I'm also down for characters performing ballet. Uh, well, uh, that that's our cosplay for the uh, uh, Star Trek convention next year, right? <laughs> Don't you just love these types of episodes of uh, early TNG? Like, I find them so watchable. Well, watchable in the sense, like, what is this show? Like, it it is so far gone from the show that we came to, like, really adore, you know? So it's like watching kind of these um, prototypes of the characters and also just prototypes of how they... uh, they film the show, edit the show, uh, write the show as well. It, it, it's more of kind of a, uh, a, a a bit of a train wreck, but I am entertained by it. Look, I never find this one boring. And there are some episodes of early TNG that are legit a snore to sit through. But like ones like this are so crazy and all over the place that I kind of enjoy them. Like you can see the shades of TOS like creeping in there. You know, a lot of the hallucination stuff or there's just various elements of it that feel kind of TOS, but at the same time, it hasn't established what the show actually is, but it's doing it in a way that's kooky. So 
I'm down for it, and uh, it makes me actually want to revisit Season 1 TNG, which is a Herculean feat, quite honestly. Uh, well, I uh, bid you Godspeed, sir. Uh, now, <laughs> let's jump over to uh, Remember Me, and uh, this is, of course, the uh, classic episode in which Beverly Crusher unknowingly gets trapped in a warp bubble at the same time that uh, she had been thinking about the uh, possibility of the people that she knows around her slowly, you know, uh, disappearing, much like her mentor, Dr. Quace, said to her hmm, right yeah. before uh, he disappeared. And uh, look, I, 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 this, is, this is one of Crusher's, uh, Beverly Crusher's, like, best episodes. The thing that does irk me, and it, we'll get to kind of the traveler of it all, though, is that, it, as you mentioned at the top camp, he kind of serves as a, a deus ex machina more than allowing, you know, Crusher to be kind of the uh, the active agent in this situation. She eventually figures out what's going on, you know, that maybe she should have just been jumping through that uh, those light thresholds that Jordy and Wesley had been creating for her, and so she runs down to main engineering. But um, it, it is still, it, 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 it's fascinating how the writer's like, you know what, we'll fix this episode if we have a writing problem and we're stuck and we need to rewrite some stuff. That fan favorite, The Traveler, of all people. I would be fascinated to know if you were watching this episode when it came out. Like, if your mind was blown when The Traveler showed up. Because it's been many years. Like, it's not like The Traveler's been this ongoing presence or characters are referencing him a whole lot of the time. So it must have been kind of weird to see this pop up again, right? Well, yeah, because, like, you'd see reruns in the summers. I don't think TNG had been syndicated until the following season so I, he must have been like a well-known part of tng for them to kind of bring him back i think i watched this episode before he ever saw where no one has gone before so when i saw his pre presence there uh it didn't oh do you know what it was though i think kim i actually encountered him in my star trek encyclopedia yep. before i watched remember me and that's how i knew who he was when he actually popped up on that episode he also had an action figure so i guess kids would have potentially had that figure i don't know that that was the one they were asking for but they may have wound up with it uh you know after <laughs> the uh relative gave it to them for christmas or something yeah i, I it wasn't uh among those in my collection i might actually have it in a box today uh, funnily enough, but uh, yeah, so it, it is interesting that the, this is who they decide to bring back. Uh, but again, it, it goes back to the constant themes uh, that we're talking about. Like the, the uh, I, I, I guess the significance of this character is that it's about him guiding folks into other realities within their own minds. And it's him telling Wesley, like, you need to clear your own mind. You need to help your own mother find a way out of this situation. And and so it's not as if like the ghost of Wesley is appearing to Beverly in this warp bubble <laughs> universe that's slowly collapsing, but it, it is establishing once again, kind of, this is the middle part of Wesley's journey after kind of forgetting for, as you said, Cam, they, they kind of forgot that he had magical powers. They kind of reintroduce that element uh, once again here. Yeah. Like, I made a couple of notes about the Traveler in this one. I wrote Space Zen Master. Um, and then I also just wrote Yoda and Luke. Because there's a lot of scenes of like him saying things to Wesley like, let it all go. Leave it behind. Look past the numbers. 
things like that as he's like guiding him as Wesley's like sitting there in this like almost like zen state punching buttons on his console and it's like this is hmm I don't even know what to make of this like there's like this weird kind of alien spirituality going on between him and Wesley that like does this belong on Star Trek like it almost feels like it's reaching into some sort of Star Warsian kind of storytelling and yet it's a show that's so obsessive about its own you know pseudoscience that it's tossing around all its gobbledygook that Jordy's spouting it's it's interesting it's like they're trying to give this sort of foundation of the traveler's teachings to Wesley without being specific about what he's actually doing do do you think it was an overt homage to Star Wars, or are you saying it's mostly just, oh, it reminded you of Star Wars? It reminded me of Star Wars. I, is it overt? I mean, it's, it's not impossible because, you know, I mean, people who are into sci-fi would have been very, oh, more than aware of Star Wars, and it did cast a wide influence, but I don't know when they're sitting writing the character of the Traveler, they're thinking Yoda. It's just like, the parallels are kind of obvious, even if they weren't intended. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, uh, <laughs> after there's uh leave no trace of Quace, you know, we, we have, uh, I don't know, just like, I do like how supportive Picard is of Beverly throughout all this mm-hmm. until you kind of realize it's her own manifestation of Picard, you know, like uh, him at his best. There is this moment where she, at, she just doesn't get a chance to say what was about to come out where she's just like, you know, Jean-Luc, there's just something I need to say. And then boom, you know, like everything goes to hell. You know, it's just kind of like, I, it's one of those Beverly moments that I, I, I wish they got to follow through in, but they always played it with that will they or won't they with Picard and Beverly throughout the course of the series. Yeah, it's the sort of thing I think we're probably going to have acknowledged in Picard season three. Um, the whole will they, won't they thing famously was such a driving force of that TV show Moonlighting with Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard. And then they got together and like ratings went off a cliff. So like I I do wonder how many shows which teased that sort of thing were terrified of paying it off within the ongoing drama of the, you know, the series. So like I I always suspected that was an element of X-Files why they kept that kind of at, you know, just arm's distance for a long, long, long time. And I kind of wonder if they were doing the same thing here where they would constantly tease it with Beverly and Picard, but they never wanted to commit probably for that um you know essentially removing that tension but also suddenly they got to write couple stories and who wants to do that yeah you ever watch uh you know later seasons of fraser and um you know daphne and niles are a couple it's just like it's not it's not nearly as fun or funny to watch yeah it's why you know comic book writers are always trying to find ways to keep spider-man single it's like it's just not as much fun when he's in a relationship i guess so I kind of get it, but I think the the only show that really kind of pulled it off, at least jumps out to me, though, that that will they won't the element that's introduced early on is probably The Office with Pam and Jim. Yeah, yeah, uh, that one was effective. You're right, because um, not a lot like uh, you know Friends, the whole Ross and Rachel thing got real messy. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a very tough thing to pull off. So, like, as much as I think fans were frustrated and there was no shortage of, you know, fan fiction slash slash fiction writers coming up with uh, Picard and Beverly stories, I kind of like that it was always just left off the table. 
even though like I would have liked maybe a little bit of a resolution, although we kind of got something in all good things, but true to uh, you know the spirit of the show, they didn't fully commit. They just kind of teased it. Yeah, I, I wish they kind of. Uh, I think it was the episode attached, in which mm-hmm. to me, I think that like you've only got like seven, eight episodes left of the entire series. I think they should have just gone for it at that point. Are are, are are the ratings going to go off a cliff in the last eight episodes if it's, you know, Beverly and Picard eating more breakfasts together? Like, to me, as a couple, that's what it seems as if they would do all the time, just eat breakfast together. Well, Star Trek is, I guess now, kind of famous for belated romances on their shows. So you had like Troy and Worf right at the end of TNG in season seven. And then you also had Seven of Nine and Chakotay at the end of Voyager. Um, So like, those didn't work out so great. This would have been better, right? Like Picard and Beverly would have felt earned. Yeah, uh, those ones kind of came out of left field. But I'll point this out though, going back to Friends, I think one of the reasons why uh, Chandler and Monica worked though is because it was kind of out of left field, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and it wasn't all that will they, won't they tension. And it wasn't a relationship built on angst. It was like uh, built on kind of the, the, the tension that comes from very different personalities. Yeah, I was going to say, like, they both had very strong, diametrically opposed personalities. Whereas, like, Ross and Rachel, that wasn't really the case. All righty. Uh, any final thoughts on the Traveler's presence in Remember Me before we jump on over to his final appearance in Star Trek? Well, I think Remember Me, it's... Is this like even like a Traveler episode? Like because he's thrown in in such a weird way, I almost feel like people don't regard this one as strongly because he's only really spoken about. I think it's the halfway point when like Wesley suddenly starts referring to him. It's like, do people think of this as a Traveler episode? Well, do are, are any of these Traveler episodes though? I think you could make an argument for the first one. But I wouldn't say remember. I, see, I, I would still call that a Picard episode, ultimately. Hmm. Really? The the first one? Like, I would it, think it, of that more as a Wesley yeah. episode. It's not, though. If you go and watch it, it's really a, a story about Picard. And, and that's even the point of, like, the Traveler's presence there is, like, he's telling Picard. Yeah, that's true. You need to encourage this boy. It's, it really is, like, like I, I feel confident saying it, if you kind of dig down who the main character is in this episode... I, Wesley and the Traveler both have uh, significant, uh, you know, moments in it. But it is the journey of Picard in this one. Uh, him in command of a situation that gets increasingly out of control. Do you think that the writers, when they were looking at the Traveler, always saw him as sort of this alien other that they just had zero interest in exploring, and they just wanted to use him for more, you know, plot mechanic reasons? Like, were they ever compelled to explore the Traveler? Tell me one thing about uh, the traveler's personality. Describe exactly. his personality. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, other than he gives Wesley these uh, these eyes, you know, <laughs> and empty space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, why don't we jump over to Journey's End? And, and look, like I said, like uh, I I think this is the, the the journey of the traveler is the journey of Wesley throughout the course of. Uh, of uh next generation you have wesley first you know getting the acton ensign role then he is you know serving aboard uh the ship in a much more official capacity in season four before he goes off to uh, starfleet academy and by journey's end he is sick of starfleet academy 
And I think what the show's getting at ultimately is the Traveler always knew that Wesley was destined for more. You brought up this spiritual stuff uh, a moment ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, look, I, I think this episode, uh, for its time, you could certainly make the argument that it was, uh, you know, kind of being as respectful as possible to uh, North American indigenous people. It, 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 you know, flash forward, you know, 25, 30 years. I, I think you and I cringe whenever we hear them constantly being referred to as Indians. You know, that's just not yeah. a term that flies, at least in Canada. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think it's, you know, uh, because of any malice from the writers, but we are getting the uh, the traveler. I, and I bring this up because we also have the, the traveler committing uh, quite a bit of cultural appropriation, <laughs> all in an effort to guide the white man to his ultimate destination of greatness. Okay, I have questions. Um, how long has the traveler been there in this disguise? Like, has he been part of this community? Or, or is the is he assuming the guise of a community member? And I don't know, maybe this guy's off on a camping trip that week, and that's why nobody notices. Like, or or, or does he just like float in and out? Like, I, I, there, there's so many questions about the constitution of the character uh, Lakonda. Um, you know, uh, who tells Wesley at the start, like, I've been um, having dreams about you for the past two years. I, I went into the, the havoc. Nope. And I'm like, okay, if you guys are trying to, like, uh, you know, rehabilitate the uh, the traveler's uh, kind of reputation as, as a weirdo perv guy, like, I don't know if this is the way you, you started off. Yeah, and I mean, there's so many, like, aspects of this episode I don't really understand with the traveler. I get that they wanted to have this reveal, but you also have him going to lead Wesley through like, you know, this indigenous like vision quest. And he's like explaining the culture to Wesley, but it's like, has he been like studying this culture? Has he been there a while? Like, should he be the one guiding Wesley through this, you know, ceremony? I just have so many questions about exactly. Yeah. All be made up on the traveler's part and not reflective of this, uh, uh, community of descendants of north american indigenous people i know that's a mouthful i know that's a mouthful but it's just like because we also know once we get to voyager uh, whoever the consultant was that they had uh for the chicote stuff i was revealed he was just making it all up it was just all gobbledygook which was incredibly offensive as well so i don't know if i can necessarily trust the producers to have been as respectful as we hope for, despite the fact that, you know, um, you know, I, I did like the moment where one of the elders like confronted Picard saying like, oh, you just think it's all just like uh, superstition and whatnot. And Picard is like, no, I respect your beliefs, you know? So that that's almost kind of the, the writers uh, kind of speaking through Picard, just trying to give the, the viewpoints of what's going on in the television series, like how, how TNG views this as well. Yeah, I I did like that scene where he's talking to Picard about his ancestors and things like that. Like, I thought for 1990s TV, I've seen worse. I'll say that. But um, I I was also getting a little nervous because I I couldn't, I'd forgotten elements of this episode when, like, Wesley, like, rises up against the Cardassians. I was like, oh, please, God, don't turn this into a Wesley, you know, helping indigenous people save themselves kind of story. But they quickly pivoted away from that to make it more about Wesley's own personal journey as opposed to, like, you know, I don't know, Wesley taking up arms with them or something. Like, I I like that they sidestepped all of that because that would have been extra cringy as well. 
it, instead of Dances with Wolves, it's more like, uh, hey, the white guy has more important things to concern himself with than the fate of hmm. these indigenous people. And it's just kind of like, that's kind of cringy. Ultimately, I do like the resolution. I, I know I'm going a little bit off track with regards to the, the traveler's role here, but I, I do like how this episode kind of proves Picard to be the diplomat as always here and just finding a situation that would work, you know, in which, hey, renounce your Federation citizenship and we'll give you assurances as Cardassians that you leave us alone, we'll leave you alone. And I, mm -hmm. I do like that there wasn't like a um, one of those uh, sort of Star Trek insurrection situations where you are taking people against their will from one planet to another. Yeah, I, I liked various shades like that, like the Cardassian in charge of, um, you know, dealing with this situation. Like, I liked that he was played as more nuanced than sometimes Cardassians are on the show where he talks about, you know, he's lost two sons in the past. He doesn't want to do it again. Um, Gully Vec, that, that's who it is, yeah. uh, who made appearances in Deep Space Nine and Voyager. It was. I wish they brought him back more often for Deep Space Nine, but they, they, they knew that they had a real great go-to with uh, Dukat. So I think Vec only made like one appearance on Deep Space Nine. Okay. Yeah. Like I thought that was like a really interesting character who wasn't just like a boo hiss villain. I also like Necheyev in this episode where there's frequent points where Picard is bringing up things that he would like to be submitting to Starfleet in protest. And she's like, I've already done it, but you know, we have to follow our orders, but you can tell that Necheyev behind the scenes is also trying her own tactics. They just are being entirely unsuccessful because a lot of the time we did that episode on why admirals suck in Star Trek. And that is not something most admirals would be saying. Well, look, it just bring on those canopies and, you know, uh, her heart grows, you know, to Grinch-like <laughs> sizes, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Although she never eats one, and that bothers me. Let me ask you this, Cam. What happens after the Traveler and Wesley walk away? You know, like... It's we do know like the last scene is Wesley's getting onto the transporter saying goodbye to his mom. What is going on with these trainees? Are are they on a different plane of existence? Are they on like Tau Tau Seti Alpha hanging out doing like Yoda stuff at a swamp? Like how do you picture? I guess what would be the next twenty five years? Not dissimilar to um. <laughs> to Dr. Uh, Mabenga's daughter and Deborah the Nebula. Um, okay. <laughs> I uh, definitely picture them like operating on some sort of alternate plane of existence because like we see the Traveler like shape changing in this episode. Like clearly the Traveler has magical abilities so far outside of our ability to understand that like when he, you know, zaps away with Wesley at the end, I to go back to it, like, I really do picture the whole, like, uh, Decker-Ilia stuff at the end of the motion picture where they're, like, turning into pure energy and, like, flying away into the cosmos. I, I don't picture, like, the Traveler and Wesley, like, hopping aboard starships and, like, zipping around the galaxy. I picture them, like, I don't know, somehow, like, breaking this barrier of whatever existence and merging all of these various elements together. I just don't know that, like even the show really understands what's happening, so they leave it purposely ambiguous. Well, they establish that travelers need to hitchhike with uh, Kaczynski uh, uh, you know, at, at the start of this journey, which I'm yeah. just so... 
the, the constitution of his abilities has always been quite murky. And, and look, Star Trek Next Generation has a long history of that. Like, you know, uh, somebody like Guinan, for example, mm-hmm. as well. Yep, for sure. I mean, how did he arrive on the starship in Remember Me? Uh, yeah. Oh, you know what? I think, yeah, he just like dissolved onto it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It, so, <laughs> you know, and it, it like, I remember the, um, the, uh, fade in sort of trick. It looked very cheap, you know, mm-hmm. it's like literally like, uh, it's something you'd use on like Final Cut Pro Amateur, Final Cut Amateur, I should say, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It didn't really do it for me there. Eh, it was the times I'm willing to f- be forgiving of this. Like, but what about you? Like, what do you envision for like the future of these two characters? I okay. Like, so why don't we jump over to the uh, Picard season two finale? Yeah. In which you know, spoilers, everybody. Uh, in, in which we kind of have Wesley explain that he's part of the Travelers, in which they're there to ensure that the delicacy of this wonderful universe doesn't you know fray that the threads don't fray and so is wesley and the traveler are are they like off on like like missions like saving the galaxy is that why wesley's you know like trying to recruit Corey? or is is now Corey the wesley to the traveler is that kind of (laughs) what's come of this like now the uh, mentee has become the mentor I would say that is the case and that Wesley is going to be the mentor of Corey Soong. I'm a little unclear what um, amazing abilities that Corey Soong showed that uh, (laughs) earned her this protege status. Because, like, you know, uh, Wesley, at least on the show, was showcased as saving the ship a lot and having some sort of abilities beyond the norm. Um, I am racking my brain. What did Corey Soong do? I remember a scene of her swimming. She gets really bad sunburn. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. And uh oh she puts on VR goggles. Yep. And uh yep. Yep. Uh I think uh did she have something to do with reprogramming those drones towards the end? I I, I think maybe. You know. Did she reprogram um, the drones or did they do that and her thing was having all the computers erase the data? I think that's what she did. Well, you know, uh her dad drives a Tesla. She's got that mm-hmm. going for her. That's you know, true. So That's true. There you go. Uh, you know what, Cam? Here's her power. She's the first of about, what, 20 clones to survive more than six months. That is uh, that is true. You know what? That is pretty good. I guess if you are, like, uh, one of the mo- first successful clones, then that should get you some sort of leeway into the Traveler Societies. Um, I thought, like, this revelation uh, smacked of the most, like, <laughs> sad sack fan service I think I've seen in some time in a franchise story but like we had throughout the season this like um um you know assignment earth tie-in stuff with uh the watchers um and this felt like introducing at the end another kind of mysterious species or group that looks over the various events that are going on in the star trek universe they never really put the two side by side but it feels like that's what they're kind of going. I don't know why they just didn't include the Travelers from like the beginning of the season and just make that the longer um, arc of the season of having, you know, um, the uh, the woman that looks like Picard's, you know, housekeeper 
be like a traveler, Laris. Like wouldn't yeah, like Laris. Well, sh- what was her like name on the show though? Laris, the the housekeeper. But yeah, Talin. Talin, thank you. Yeah, like why not make yeah. Talin a traveler? Wouldn't that have? She was a supervisor helped? camp. <laughs> you know, th- she was a different noun. But like, you know, why? I, I don't know. I, exactly. <laughs> well, because do, do you know why? Because they're like making it up as they went along. They didn't know what they were doing. Yeah, because if you had her set up as a traveler, you could then pay off at the end of Wesley showing up, and it may still be fan service, but at least it would be fan service that made sense within the context of the story they were telling through the season. I'm trying to make. I'm still trying to make sense of it though, because like I assume like travel. Well, yeah, I guess if Wesley is a traveler now, I guess Tallinn. Kim, you, all you're doing is giving me headaches about like I, I'm trying to fix this show that is just so poorly written and executed. That's as you said, it, it was such clumsy fan service that it was just such a stretch, you know, to have Wesley bring Corey with him just as an excuse to bring Wesley back. And, and honestly, I don't know. The way I'll excuse it is, is uh, Wesley maybe wanted a, a friend, you know. Sure, but like Wesley could have been the one that sent Talon in the first place. Yeah, and at least there, yeah. there you go. Yes, yeah. that that then, would that's an easy thing. Yeah, and then you have at the re- the end the revelation that Wesley had helped Picard. He can take Corey soon with him. Fine, keep that if you want, and it would feel more satisfying versus this total out of left field twist. That like I'm not gonna lie, I laughed through the whole thing. I thought it was hilarious, but I don't think that that's what they wanted me to do. Yeah, I, the other thing that. I don't know. It was just like Will Wheaton's performance. It seemed. It didn't seem like he was playing Wesley Crusher anymore. And I don't just no. mean like, oh, the character has changed so much because of his travels. That's why he doesn't seem like Wesley. It's just something else. It, like, I don't know. Like, he did the sitcom stuff. Um, I don't know. It, it, it took me out of the moment. All I will say is that. Do you think there's any future? for wesley slash traveler stories like do you i know that they you know have said oh he's not going to appear in season three picard but like would it shock you if he did um well there's nothing about this show that can shock me now um i i I would say is there a future for wesley and the traveler only in maybe lower decks where they're joking about those two yeah, I would actually be interested in an episode that actually featured them. I think they could actually contribute to that storyline in a way that would probably be fun and also could maybe showcase things that a live-action show couldn't. A return to that strange um, aquarium galaxy that they were in uh, and no one where no one has gone before. <laughs> yes, and I, I guess, do we now completely dismiss uh wesley's uh, deleted footage in nemesis i guess you have to like okay so you can see wesley in the backgrounds during the wedding scene mm-hmm. just like you can see like guinan in the background I, I can rationalize it in my head that um wesley popped in from a travel put on a starfleet uniform for the heck of it just to please everybody and then uh popped out once again like um I, I don't like the idea of him choosing to come back from traveling just to join Starfleet, as was the indication in the deleted scene. So, look, the scene is not canon; never made it in the movie. So, therefore, I, I can I can live with what we've got during the wedding scene in Nemesis. What would be your reaction if they announced that one of the shows they're developing 
is a Corey Soong Traveler show. Well, the, I would wake up from that nightmare. <laughs> Scream yourself awake, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, it all comes down to execution, and so far, uh, most of these folks have indicated they don't, they're not very good on execution. I mean, Strange New Worlds being the exception among the live-action shows, and look, the animated shows have been great, but it would just depend on um, who the team is behind it, but like, I have no reason to believe it would be a good show. Yeah, it seems like one with not a lot of promise. Um, I, I don't think there's much of a risk of that happening. Uh, I would say that given how... Cam, there's there's zero <laughs> risk of that happening. Don't worry. That's Yeah, yeah. But I would say given how disinterested they were in like Isa Brionis playing a significant role throughout Picard Season 2, that's not something I'm <laughs> concerned about at all. Yeah. Do you think like um, uh, Soji makes an appearance in season three of Picard to wrap up her character. They have to, right? I know that the actress has said she's not in season three, but like that doesn't mean anything. They can easily lie and then pop up for a surprise cameo to thrill the fans. They have to, right? Well, season one centered on her. Yeah. And for her to disappear in the first episode of season two, getting it on with the Deltons, I, like that's how you send off your main character, uh, excluding Picard, but essentially your co-lead from the first season, like getting Randy with the Deltons. I'm like, I mean, look, Cam, I could be written off a series like that. Like I would have no problem, but like, I don't know. Just, it just seems like, well, we're also talking about a show that killed off like a fan favorite uh, in, in a bar fight that we only heard about secondhand. It's like, I don't know. I, I wouldn't put it past the writers to leave Soji on that Delton planet forever. Oh, I wouldn't put it past them at all. But like, you know, they've said that Brent Spiner is going to be back for season three Picard. If they find some way to bring back something similar to Data with him in that season, I feel like it has to like resolve with him meeting Soji. Like it just, it just would have to. Okay. Yeah, I I, I agree. You know, but I just, I don't have much faith in the uh, creative team. No. So just to kind of wrap it up now, we've looked at these three episodes, you know, the Traveler trilogy. Do you think that Star Trek fans consider this as like a, like an actual storytelling trilogy within TNG? Absolutely not. I would also point out that I never thought about this way until I pitched it as a joke. And then when I actually sat down and watch them one by one. I was like, oh, it actually works as a trilogy. I don't think there is any sort of intention behind that. I think it's just sheer luck that that's how it happened. But it is kind of a, we call it the Traveler trilogy. It is Wesley Crusher's arc in a nutshell right there. If you want to understand that character about his, his, more of his existential journey rather than his career journey. Like you can have great episodes like First Duty, uh, Final Mission, The Game, you know, but... They play into Wesley's arc, but these three episodes, um, I, I think it's just kind of a, a perfect parallel to where the character ultimately ends up. Yeah, it's like the Traveler's there every time there's like a major shift in Wesley's character. Um, so like, it's important in that regard. I just think like the Traveler is such an interesting personality on Star Trek because he is just a complete deus ex machina. Like you can look at other characters who play that role there's none who are entirely defined by that, like the Traveler, which I think is maybe why we've been so amused by him since day one of this podcast. 
Alrighty, Cam. Well, I think uh, we, we've wrapped up the most in-depth look into the Traveler that you'll ever find on any Star Trek podcast out there, period. <laughs> we'll pat ourselves on the back. Um, well, look, uh, coming up next week, uh, I, I guess we can um, kind of uh, give you a peek behind the curtain. We are pre-recording this episode uh, ahead of our trip to Las Vegas, which uh, we just talked about a few weeks ago. So coming up next week, we will be discussing kind of our uh, Las Vegas adventure. We'll be giving a recap on how the convention went, uh, our, our our first journey there in a long time, which seems like mm-hmm. a, uh, uh, you know, I should have said our first travel there in oh, a long, long yeah. time. Yeah. Um, hopefully we'll have some Eric Muniak uh, stories to tell if he drops in unexpectedly. <laughs> Wouldn't that be the greatest surprise? They're like, people, <laughs> special guest. We didn't tell any of you he was coming. Eric Menyuk. Well, well th- then we can uh, go up to the mic and tell him, hey, look, we've got a great tribute to you coming up on our next uh, Star Trek podcast. Don't worry. <laughs> Tune in. Okay. And of course, you can find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam V is in Visits from the Traveler, Smith. And you can find me at Reportin'. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N-N, as in Necheyev's favorite canopies. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. I'm a traveling man. Doing what a traveler can. Won't you please take my hand? We'll journey off to far-off lands. To far-off lands. Transfer complete.